This morning, we're going to move into one of those very short little sections of, of Scripture in the book of Genesis that, frankly, in the last, since I got saved in 1987, I thought I'd read it enough times. I thought I had it pretty much nailed down. I'd been through the Pentateuch in college. I'd, I'd studied the book of Genesis. You know, I'd had all the references. I, I thought I understood what was going on. But when I really took time to look into it, this small section of Scripture, I was stunned just how much is actually there and honestly how little of it I had actually mastered not saying that you're ever going to master all of scripture there are some things you should master from scripture all of us should know John 3 16 2 Corinthians 5 17 Ephesians 2 8 and 9 there are things we should master but it's a rare man or woman that can master the book of Genesis and if you are one of those I am humbled but I'm probably going to put you to the test to make you prove it. The book of Genesis, chapter 32. We find ourselves at an interesting point in Scripture. We're going to see the transformation of a man this morning. And in this transformation is also a story about us, if you will. Let me read for you our text this morning. And mine will be a little different than some of yours. I read from the New American Standard. I'm, I, I must confess, I'm addicted. Okay, I can't, I can't quite get away from it. And honestly, I don't really want to. So we'll start at verse 22 of chapter 32, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Now he arose the same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children across the ford of the Jabbok, and he took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent them across. What, and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he answered, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel, and as he was limping on his thigh, therefore to this day the sons of Israel do not eat of the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful for what we have just read, for the encounter, for the fact that you came and you made yourself known to Jacob, who is now Israel. And in that, that was part of your plan. And we see in Jacob... Now, Israel, we see a changed man, and we'd ask that as we open your word and we explore it, that we would learn not only more about him, but even more so important, more about you. Watch over these stuttering and stammering lips this morning. I confess to you that, as you already know, that I am way beyond worthy. I'd ask that you'd forgive me where I failed you, that you would restore that joy, that I would dwell in the peace. And I would have the understanding that you want me to have this morning. In Christ's name, amen. 
Let's move backwards a couple of verses before we go any further. In verse 20, um, yeah, he says in the middle there, he says, I will appease him with the present that he goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. Talking about Esau. So the present passed on before him. And while he himself spent the night in the camp. If you remember from last week, he had taken his possessions and had split them and had sent them out trying to hopefully to appease Esau, who he figured was probably going to have his head. Okay, he's taken all of his possessions, he's sent them across the river, sent them out in stages so that it's not all one massive glob of people, but rather yet, it's kind of the idea that if one side gets killed off, he still has some. He's a man who is feared, in fear. You ever been afraid? You ever done something? You were afraid that uh, somebody would find out about it or you would be discovered or your arch enemy would be there? Have you ever offended anyone and been worried about the next time you met? Kind of saying, gee, I don't, I don't know if I, I like that person, but I don't know if I want to see him again. Much the same way as Jacob was this evening. Jacob held on to the two things in verse 22 that he valued the most the hardest thing in the life for him to give up. If I was to ask you, what would be the two things or the things in your life that you could not give up, or if you had to, you would hang on to them to the very last? Would it be money? Would, would you be honest enough to say, I'm going to, yeah, that's, that's, that's how much money I have. That's it. Tony has the rest. <laughs> you do, don't you, babe? We're, you may want to take up a love offering when we're done. Um, it would, would this be the last thing you'd be willing to give up? Your money? How about, for some of you, it might be a car. It might be possessions. I would hold that for Jacob, and especially to you men, that the thing held on to the most and valued the most was his family, was his two wives, not going to go there. I have one that's plenty. His children has 11 children. That together as his family was the thing that he held back. That was the thing that was the last to cross the river. Would you be willing to let yours cross the river at night and know what's going on? I'm sure he did it with some trepidation. These are the things that he had gleaned over years of labor for his wives. And the labor of that fruit was expressed in part in the lives of not only himself, but in his children. One would say 11 children's a pretty good crop. Can't imagine having 11 children, even if it took 30 years or 20 years to do it. So that night, he either takes them here in verse 22. He either takes them across and comes back or he sends them over. I'm holding to the idea that Jacob's children would have been old enough and able enough to help the other children, the two wives, which would be their mothers, and the maids, to get across the ford of Jabbok on their own. Because I don't believe Jacob ever actually entered the land in this passage as, as entering the land. He just was at the shore and never saw on his feet the other land. There's a reason for that, which we will see later. It must have been a challenge in the darkness to watch his family cross the river. And then we read in verse 23, and he took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent whatever he had, he took the last of everything he had, sent it across. 
And then verse 24, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Have you ever been truly in the dark? Have you ever been truly in some place that was pitch black? Some of you have told me like you go down to old man's caves or mammoth caves or, and they walk you down that, that path and, and they get you back in and somebody, some evil fiend turns the lights out, right? And it's pitch black. We had the same thing here in um, 19, or 2008 when Hurricane Ike, remember Ike? Remember when Hurricane Ike blew through and tore up all the power lines on Hamilton Road? We were like seven days without power. I lived down in the wonderful new addition, which is now 60 years old, and uh, it was pitch black. I walked out to the end of my driveway and could not see. I couldn't see my feet. It was so dark. There's nothing like that kind of darkness. It surrounds you. It encompasses you. And even the bravest men often find fear in the total darkness of night. Because you don't know what's there. Of course, we all say, it wasn't there in the daylight, so it's not there at night. But boy, sure don't feel that way when you're in the dark, does it? And then, out of nowhere... As Jacob was undoubtedly stressing and worrying about his family and worrying about how he was going to address Esau. What do you say to Esau after all these years? And he sent 400 people out and you just know they're coming for your head. They're going to cut your head off or, you know, they're, they're going to kill you. They're going to do something to you. You just know it. And, and there in the dark, he's sweating and he's stressing and he's fretting. And maybe he's found a little place where he could just kind of walk around in a circle without falling down. You know, in pitch black, you don't really walk very far. If, if you think I'm kidding, put a blindfold on and try to walk through your house. Okay? Just where you think you know everything is, you don't. And then, in sheer terror, a man seizes upon Jacob. I don't know about you, but I scream when I see a spider. I can only imagine the fear and the realization that someone was upon him as in the dark, Jacob was accosted, if you will. The man came. The man came and wrestled with him until daybreak. This man, who is this man? Many have said that this man was an angel. Many have said that it was the pre-incarnate Christ. And I hold to that position. I believe this man was God in the flesh. Okay, there's a couple other reasons we'll discover here in a minute. But he is now wrestling with the greatest of all powers, the great creator. He's wrestling with Christ. In verse 28, Jacob is stripped of his birth name and renamed Israel. Only God has the authority to permanently rename someone. Just think about it. The apostle Paul was actually Saul, and God changed his name after his encounter on the road, there was, there was something that God chose to do to identify him as his own servant that overrode everything in the world that Paul, Saul, had ever known. He changed his name. Only God has the authority to change your name permanently for all eternity. Here on earth, you can change your name. I could change my name to three-quarter Jones if I wanted, but God's still going to know me by the name that I have. My name is Paul Christ. That's how God knows me. He knows me as a child. He knows me as his possession. He knows me as a sinner saved by grace. He knows me in all the facets that I am. And only God can change that. And in Saul's life, God changed 
him and gave him a new name. Much the same thing is going to happen here to Jacob. Only God can truly change your name and the character that lies within you. You can get a PhD, which stands for post-hole digger. You can get every degree known to man. You can have an MDiv. You can have every degree, every possible educational value. You can study with the greatest gurus in the world. You can learn all those things, but you will never change who you truly are inside without an encounter with Jesus Christ. You will never change until God changes you. You may dress up, you may clean up, you may put a jacket and tie on, you may come to church, you may be here for every service, do every good work, belong in some benevolence groups, do some philanthropic work, but you will never truly change internally until God overwrites the software in your heart. And that will never change. Jacob now wrestles with the one who has the power to change all things. Furthermore, later on in the past, we're going to see where God puts an injury on him that would change him forever. I don't know how many of you have ever really been hurt, so it's changed your life. Some of you I see are walking around. One of our sisters has her, her right hand in a sling. Uh, some of you probably have some artificial parts. The raptor comes, the rapture comes. I'd like to see how many false knees and teeth and eyeballs and hips are left laying around. I don't think God's going to take any of those. But most of those injuries come and go. We go to the doctor. I've had foot surgery, which I don't recommend. Those things change. They heal to some degree. Sometimes not as well as we would like, but they heal. But God touches Jacob in a way that never changes. The commentator Arthur W. Pink said this, Jacob was not wrestling with this man to obtain a blessing. Instead, the man was wrestling with Jacob to gain some object from him. As to what this object is, the best commentators are agreed. It was reduced to reduce Jacob to a sense of his nothingness, to cause him to see what a poor, helpless, and worthless creature he was. It was to teach us through him that all the important lessons that in recognized weakness lies our strength. When we are weak, he is strong. When we bow our spirits to Christ, he is stronger in us. When we give up the fight in our own physical realm, when we give up the fight in our spirit to resist him, when we bow ourselves to him, that is when we are the strongest because we have become the weakest. Jacob has that experience waiting for him. He's wrestling with God himself in pitch black darkness. Horrifying thought. Horrifying thought. How many of us here this morning would bristle and be offended to some degree if I told you without a relationship with the living God, you're just like Jacob, poor, helpless, and worthless. Anybody offended by that? I'm glad. A little disappointed, though. Kind of thought somebody might be offended. Frankly, we need to be reminded that our value is not in the miserable scraps, the insignificant gifts and talents we bring to the scales. 
That's not where our value is. That's not what makes us of value. What makes us of value? The Apostle Paul in Colossians 1.27 tells us, to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is where our value is found. Now, Jacob is wrestling with Christ in the flesh. He's going to have that experience by the end of this night. By the end of this night, this man will, em will emerge from the darkness, a limping, battered, beaten, broken, weakened, but yet infinitely stronger individual because he's bowed and been broken by God himself. That's where your strength is. Believer, your strength is not in yourself. It's not in the depth of your pocketbook. It's not in this. It's not in any gifts and talents you have. Your strength is found in Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the depth of his word in your life. That's where your strength, that's where your person is. That's where your value is found. Because in that value, you pour it back out to God. You say, I'm not worthy of what you've given me. Use me even though I'm not worthy. That's what Jacob's going to learn today. God has put an incredible gift of you, of, in you, of unspeakable worth, of unsearchable depth, and of unchangeable nature. 1 John 4, 4 tells us, you are from God, little children, have overcome them, because greater is he that is you that is in the world than what? He. Greater is you, he that is in you than he that is in the world. Live in it. Rejoice in it. Back to Jacob. Sorry, a little sidetrack. That's, that's a passage of scripture that just really lights my fire. Jacob wrestled with this man until daybreak. Does anyone here find it interesting that they wrestled all night long? How many of you have ever actually wrestled? Do we have any wrestlers in the room? Okay, what, you go like three minutes, right? Uh, a meet is three three-minute sessions. If, if you go all the way. How whipped are you at the end of it? Pretty tired. Laying on the ground, panting and wheezing. Somebody comes over, gives you a bottle of water. When I was younger, I ran around with guys. and You know how young, young guys are, you know, teenagers, young men, young and dumb. and We'd wrestle. And we'd carry on. About 15 minutes later, we're shot. Gasping, wheezing, bloodied, bruised, clothes torn. Truce, truce, time out, peace, peace, give me a break. Safe, I found a touch of safe. If I touch that, I'm safe. There was none of that for Jacob this night. Scripture says they wrestled all night long. Jacob felt he was in a life or death battle. You can't stop when the enemy is at the gate. When you're in fear of your life, you don't stop and take a coffee break. If you're running from your enemy, you run until you're out of gas, until you can go no further. I'm often fascinated by tales of soldiers in time of war that go days without sleep and without eating and fight and fight and fight because it was life or death. Jacob would have been doing the same thing here. And then Jacob realizes that he had neither lost nor, he had, nor had he won. Scripture in verse 25 says, And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated when he wrestled him. So the question is, as I've read through this, why didn't God just appear to him and straighten him out? 
You know, God's going to do that to Moses. He's going to show up in the, the epiphany or the theophany, which is the burning bush, and he's just going to kind of straighten Moses out. Why, why did he just show up and, and tell Jacob what he needed to know? Why did he just, why did he just show up in front of him and, and, and straighten the boy out? Isn't that what we do to our kids? You just show up and straighten them out, right? Take you out back behind the woodshed, give you a thumping. This guy down here don't know what's going on. He thinks I'm going to get him, okay? So I had some thoughts about that. God could have just dominated him, but here's a reason, some reason I think he didn't. Number one, God only applied enough power as to not overwhelm Jacob. God wanted to wear him out physically so he could begin to see himself spiritually. When you've reached the end of yourself, when your batteries are dead, when you can go no further, that is when you discover where you are. Those of you that have been through great sicknesses, when you get to that point, you know exactly what I'm saying. When you realize physically you have gone as far as humanly possible, that's when the spiritual aspect of your life becomes revealed. You find out just where you are. Secondly, God's desire was for Jacob to see himself as God saw him. Why else would he ask Jacob, what is your name? In verse 27, do you really think that this man, God in the flesh, didn't know who Jacob was? He knew who Jacob was. He knew who Jacob was before Jacob knew who he was. The very name showed what character and nature of Jacob, which was heel catcher or deceiver, was. And after this battle, Jacob would be even more aware of his shortcomings as he pondered the nature of his opponent. God wanted him to hear his own voice, wanted him to hear his own name so that what he was and what he had done and where he had been and the things that he had, had done for whatever reason would echo in his head because physically beaten, now he's down to the spiritual aspects of your life and he's got to noodle those things through his head and he's being reminded of who he is. Has God ever reminded you of who you are? Some of you sitting here, God is reminded daily, you're a sinner saved by grace. Some of you sitting here may be hearing this voice that says, you know, you don't know me as Lord and Savior. You're just sitting here putting on a good show. I don't know who that might be, but there might be some of you here today, this morning, like that. They're hearing that voice, and you don't know what to do with it. Thirdly, God desired obedience and heart-centered worship, not blind, robotic, mechanical, liturgical, or rote obedience. That's a sentence right there. He wants us to love him and worship him from a heart that realizes how amazing he truly is and how invested in the lives of his children he truly is. Domination only brings resentment. Only love brings devotion. Only love brings devotion. If he had dominated Jacob, think about it. How many of you have been through relationships or known people that have been domineering in their, nat in their nature? What came from it? Resentment. Because they're always legalistic and always just you got to do this, you got to do that. That's not what God wanted from Jacob. It's not what he wants from any of us. He doesn't want us living in abject fear. He wants us to live in the praise and glory of his name. He wants us to live in a way that brings glory and honor to him. That's what he wants from Jacob. And then finally, Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8, to encapsulate it in a nutshell, says, what does, what does God require from us? He wants us to live peaceably and do what's right to live in a way that brings glory and honor and praise to him. Jacob has finished wrestling with this man. Touched his thigh. You know that had to have hurt an awful lot. 
can only imagine, and yet he continued to do battle. Scripture doesn't tell us of any other particular injuries or damages, but Jacob is now permanently marked. He's permanently been hurt. He touched the socket of his thigh, and in a split second, the entirety of Jacob's life has changed in that moment. You know they say in a split second your life changes. True? Anybody here vouch for that? That your life changes in a split second? As an old retired electrician, I can tell you that that stuff moves pretty quick. And if you make a mistake, your life's going to change in a split second. Almost as fast as the speed of light. You can't move fast enough to get out of its way. You can't just ignore it because it really does hurt. And yet in a split second, Jacob's life has changed. Interestingly enough, Jacob still has a grip on the man, even in the midst of the excruciating pain. And he says, give me a blessing. Give me a blessing. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Even in the moment of pain, he began to realize who he was wrestling with. He knew he was wrestling with God Almighty. He didn't just want it to be over. He wanted a blessing. So God gave him a blessing. And the nature of that blessing, this particular passage doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us why he gave us that. He doesn't know why he gave him uh, the blessing other than that Jacob asked for. He doesn't know exactly. um, We don't know exactly what that blessing was, although Scripture will eventually tell us. Okay, I want want you to understand, as the great commentator um, Derek Kinder put it, After the maiming, combativeness had turned to dogged dependence. He was no longer battling for his life. He was hanging on for dear life. The battle was over. He was at the mercy of the victor. Jacob emerged broken and named and blessed. His limping would be the lasting proof of the reality of his struggle. It had been no dream. There was sharp judgment. Remember, God doesn't play fair, if I may. How many of you have wrestled with God? Does God play fair? Does he ever break his own rules? Does he violate his own word? Does he do anything sinful? No. But God's resources are unlimited. His power is unlimited. The only thing that's limited is his love for you in that he would never do anything out of his character. God wins. Okay, if you're wrestling with God, stop. You're not going to win. If God is calling you to do something, do it. Because God always wins. So I don't understand people that struggle against God. I did it before I went to Bible college. Quite frankly, I was sick. God had told me to go to college right after I got saved. It had been four or five years. And, uh, man, I had a good thing going. I had a good job, wife, couple of kids. You know, we were beating through, living and growing, and didn't really have too many issues and problems. Family was good. Church was good. And God said, Paul, you know, you need to go do something else with your life. I want you to go to college. And I said, you know, I barely got through high school. Okay? I didn't graduate anywhere near the top unless it was the top of the bottom. I didn't do very well in high school. I wasn't what you'd call a good student. I strove for mediocrity, and I might say I was a success. And he said, Paul, I want you to go to school. I had hives. I had pneumonia, pleurisy. Tolio and a bunch of other weird sicknesses. And as soon as I relaxed my grip on my life, God began the process of healing me and put me where he wanted me to be. God's sovereign over all things, and Jacob knew that. 
Then verse 26, then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. There's some things about this verse that really kind of curious, curiously struck to me. And I realize we're moving around a little bit, but these were thoughts that I had as I went through. You realize that nobody in Scripture has ever seen God's face and lived. So what I believe the writer is saying here is that in the darkness, in the murky darkness of the night, he saw just enough to realize it was a man, but not enough to identify his face. If you think about it, nobody in Scripture has seen the face of God. Of course, New Testament believers have the face of Jesus Christ as he walked the face of the earth. Little different scenario. But nobody has ever seen God's face and lived. Scripture teaches that in Exodus 33:20. And then backwards, that thought just kind of come to me. Verse 27, what is your name? What's in your name? What's your name mean? My name means small or little one. Mom didn't get it right. Okay. Mom, mom missed. I don't know what the word, I don't know what the name for big and ugly is, but that's probably what I should have had. Mom wasn't, uh, mom wasn't privy to the future. Have you ever been asked by somebody of importance and authority what your name is? I want to tell you a little story about myself. When Tony and I were first together, we lived in an apartment, manor apartment here in Johnstown. And like most old apartments, it was a little building, four apartments, two-story one heater downstairs, no laundry. So she was off doing whatever, probably at work, and I went up to do laundry, and I went uptown to the coin op, and I put a load of laundry in, and I realized I'd forgotten something. I drove back home, and uh, I'm standing in the what would be the living room, and there was a knock on the door. If, 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 you know, not this kind of knock, but this kind. What's the first thing you think of? It's the cops. First thing went through my head, it's the cops. I know it's the cops. Uh-oh. So I opened the door. Sure enough, there's Big Daddy County Sheriff. It's a couple years from retirement, wearing a much larger uniform than when he started, I'm sure. And he said, are you Paul William Grice? And for that moment, I wanted to be anybody else. <laughs> I would have settled for Dan Scarberry. Dave Rumpke, I would have been anybody but Paul William Grice. I just knew for sure that this boy was headed to the big house for whatever reason. And he laughed and he said, no, not here for that. He said, uh, and then this is, was really freaky. He goes, no, all I have for you. I said, are you here to arrest me? And he said, no. So I showed him my ID and, and I said, well, what do you want? And he said, I've just got to serve a subpoena here. You have to pour appear in front of the Licking County Grand Jury. Oh, that's all? I feel warm and fuzzy now, you know. I'm not going to jail. I'm going down to see the Grand Jury. And it dawned on me as I was studying this and as I thought back to that, your name means something. Whether it's good or bad. And here before the living God, Jacob was forced to confess his guilt and his sin by just the mention of his name. Remember from Genesis 27, his name, I am a fraud, I am a deceiver, I am a supplanter, I am rightly named Jacob, for I cheated my brother twice. Did God already know that? Sure he did. But why do you think he wanted him to tell him his name? 
so that Jacob would hear again what the character of, him, of himself was, so he would know who he was, so that there was no mistaking, physically beaten, spiritually wandering. Now he's got his own fault running around in his ear. You ever get in a spot in your life where married men, where your wife calls you in the room and says, what do you see here? And you know in that moment you've done something wrong. Why are all my t-shirts pink? Or why are all your white shirts a light blue? I don't know, honey. Special order? I don't, I don't know how they got here. Uh, what'd you do wrong? I just recently did that. I have the prettiest light blue t-shirts you've ever seen. I didn't, I didn't realize blue jeans still faded. But all of us are called by a name. And in this moment, Jacob is being called by his name. And then God, in verse 27 and 28, 28, he says, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Does this mean in verse 28 that God defeated Jacob? No. Nobody beats God. God allowed him to wrestle through the night to the point where he was exhausted, injured, and ashamed. The day of failure through power was over and the day of success through weakness had, become, had begun. Jacob now whipped, beaten, maimed, dirty, and now a limp. God has changed his name. God, he is now Israel. Just like New Testament believers, Jacob is now experiencing what I believe all of us should be experiencing from 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Jacob is going to learn now as Israel just how amazing God's grace truly is. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Those of you that have been down and out and weak, you know that feeling. Encouraged by his new name, Israel was emboldened, and he asked enough for a blessing, and we see in short several different things in this passage that I think are worthy of note. The first one is, in the wrestling with God, we see a relentless grace. God never stops. God could have killed him. God could have just dominated him, but God poured out his grace upon him and you. A crippling grace, a grace that changes how you see the world and how you see yourself. When you learn to see the world through eyes of grace, it will change how you treat people. It will change how you react with people. It will change the way you think of yourself. And then number three, a transforming grace. I may look like the man I once was, but inside I am not. My life verse is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things are become new. That's the kind of experience that Israel now has. Then verse 30. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. Simply put, God did not want Jacob to cross the, um, the river. 
God wanted Israel to cross the river. He wanted someone that he had changed. He wanted someone who he had touched. He wanted someone who was now dependent upon him. He wanted someone who was willing to fall upon him when times were tough. Someone who was no longer what he once was, but was on his way to becoming something God wanted him to be. That's where we all are. All of us should be on our way to being what God has to be. God doesn't want you the way you are. God wants you the way he's going to make you. You know, the old story about Billy Graham Crusades, he's saying, just as I am 37 times. A lot of people came just as they are, and they left just as they were. That's not the story here. Jacob, now Israel, is a changed man. That's the man God wanted to cross the river. And because he saw God darkly in a murky shroud, he now names this place Peniel, facing God. You know, folks, when the sun rises on a new day, hopefully it brings hope in your life. I'm a morning person. Anybody here a morning person? Anybody here like the morning? Okay, now, I dwell with a nocturnal creature. Okay? Her idea of early morning is about noon. My idea of early morning is about 530 I like the morning because I see in the sunrise, I see the start of a new day, an opportunity for something good to happen. Not saying one is right or one is wrong, but in this picture, Jacob or Israel now enters into the land. In the morning, the sun is shining. He's a new man. God has got him where he wants him. He's got a limp. The old Jacob is gone. Although he looks the same except for the limp and probably covered in dirt and, and mud. But this is not the same man that God wrestled with. This is the man that God changed. So the question this morning, have you wrestled with God? How many of you in here have wrestled with God? Don't, don't raise your hands. I, I, I don't want to have to look at you and, and acknowledge yes or no. <laughs> quite frankly, because we all have our own matches before God. My friends, my brothers and sisters, neighbors, if you haven't wrestled with God, find Him. Seek Him. Look for Him. Call out to Him. He desires to change you. Not just a little bit. He desires to make you new. And new is a funny thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 all things are become new. Are is an active verb. It means it's continuing on. Every day is new. How about you young newlyweds? Every day a new experience for you? Find out things about your spouse you didn't know before? Oh, we dated for three years, but I had no idea he was like that or she was like this. You know, that man doesn't even put his socks in the dirty clothes. I'm just glad he wears socks. All of us, all of us are in that learning curve of life. All of us need to explore every day the wrestling match with God that is what God has intended for you. Young people, do not forsake the opportunity to serve God. Do not forsake the opportunity to put your life for the best use of whatever. You want an adventure? I love adventure. I'm an experiential kind of guy, man. Put me out there. I want to do stuff. I want to be place. I want to see things. You want a life of experience. You want a life of excitement. You want a life of adventure. Commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and then live that way. And you will have the greatest experiences of your life. Beth Newton, can I get an amen? 
there's a lady that can tell you what it's like to serve. My friends, Jacob left the land, but he left it as he left it under the name of Israel. And for the rest of days, Israel is now with us. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful for the time you've given us. Once again, for the stammering tongue, the stuttering speech, with a heart that desires to serve. I would pray, Father, that in this day that those that have not wrestled with you would do so. Then those that have wrestled with you, that it would continue to find your grace and your mercy as they move through these days. Lord, we pray for those families that are hurting. There's some hurt in this group. There's been some loved ones lost. And we know in those cases that we know for sure that we have lost, it is not goodbye. It is I'll see you in the morning. For in a twinkling of an eye, each one of us can be standing before you. Lord, I pray in this room today there would be none left behind. If there are those that are not in the family of God that have not put their faith in you, Lord, may you quicken their spirits today. Call them and draw them. And we'd ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.